weeks since, I preached a message about Christ is all from Colossians 3.11, and that started a series as we think about our Savior and the prepositions that are connected to His name. The first message in the series was through Christ, and I spoke about on Christ, in Christ. Last week, the title was Under Christ, and today we're going to look at the subject with Christ. Most of the time, whenever we think of the words with Christ, we use that in reference to someone who has died. They've departed from this world, and we say they're now with Christ, with the Lord. And they have chiseled these words on, uh, on tombstones as a testimony of the believer's hope. And it's a thought that's justifiable, by the way. It's a thought that is glorious. It is scripturally correct, because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But when we speak about being with Christ in that sense, it doesn't tell the whole story. There's more to it than that. There is also a past and a present aspect of being with Christ. And these truths associated being with Christ are are profound. Uh, The greatest, deepest thinkers of centuries gone by have spent countless hours uh, uh, meditating upon that phrase, writing books about it, preaching sermons about it. It's just more than your mind can take in. And yet, and yet those words are meant to be understood. And they are of such great importance that we dare not be careless in presenting them or listening to them because they're, they're no benefit to the person that doesn't understand. So I want to make sure I've done my part in making this as clear as I possibly can. We could use a dozen different scriptures as the text for the message, but I want to begin in Colossians 3, verse 1, down through verse 4. Paul says, If ye then be risen with Christ... I have that underlined in red in my Bible. If you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on the things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Notice how this section begins in verse number 1. It speaks about being risen with Christ. And then when we look at verse 4, the section ends with these words. It says, with him in glory. Now, those two verses are two very different things. The first one speaks about our present position, and the second speaks about our future prospect. And notice as it begins, he says, it starts out with the word if. If ye then be risen with Christ. Now remember, Paul is speaking 
to Christians. He's writing this letter to the church at Colossae. So he is addressing them as believers. And so that word there is a, is a word of declaration, not a word of doubt. He's not trying to get them to wonder and to doubt whether or not they are, but rather he is declaring a fact, and it's as though he is saying, since, since he, that ye are risen with Christ, because of that, based on that, seek those things which are above. The whole point is that Paul is trying to get those people yet living on this earth to view life from a higher perspective. In other words, he wants them to see themselves as God sees them, to see themselves through God's eyes and to get a proper picture of this. We have to understand the difference between our position and our practice or our standing and our state, we might say. And so, Paul is saying basically, be what you are. Be in practice what you profess to be your position. So I want you to notice four things about being with Christ. The first thing is that it describes our position. When we think about our union with Christ, we find it expressed in several different ways. I think I talked about that maybe last week. We talked about, you know, the vine and the branches and all of the different ways. He's the shepherd and we're the sheep. And so he depicts our relationship, our union in these different ways. But here we find it's described as being with Christ. And notice he tells us in this case, that we are risen with Christ, we're seated with Christ. And if you go through all of the references to this, you'll find in Romans chapter 6 and verse 8, it says, ye are crucified with Christ. That is, you died with Christ. Now, since we are not dead, since we might act like it sometimes, that we're not dead, we're very much alive, none of us have been crucified, Right? We, we were not crucified with Him, and yet the Bible says we were crucified with Christ. That tells us that since it's not literal, that this is symbolic for a spiritual truth. In other words, just as Jesus died on the cross, viewed from God's perspective, we as Christians are now looked up on in the sense that when He died, we died. You say, well, I don't understand. Well, that doesn't change the fact, though. We're talking about how God views things. We often talk about God's judicial reckoning. When we talk about being, let's say, justified, certainly none of us are as if we had never sinned. All of us are sinners. There's no one here that can say, I've never sinned. But when God looks upon us, He sees the purity of His own dear Son. And whenever we think about the price that He paid, the crucifixion, His death on the cross, it's as though that God the Father is looking at us and saying, when He died, you died. And then it goes on to Colossians 3, here in verse number 1, that we've been raised with Christ. Colossians 3 and verse 3 says we are hid with Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we, we are 
sitting, as it were, with Christ in heavenly places. He is in heaven at this moment at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And it's as though we are already there. Amen. Isn't that good news? I mean, you are as saved as you'll ever be. And one of these days you're going to change locations, but you're just as saved as if you was already there. And then he ends up in verse 4 saying, and the time's going to come where we shall appear with Christ. The bottom line to all of this is that our union with Christ gives us an unchangeable, righteous position in the judicial reckoning of God, how God looks up on us. I think about the passion that some people have to attain some high position in this world. They'll do almost anything to get it. Politicians are the very worst at it, but there are a lot of people. They want to they reach this position. They want to be a star in Hollywood. They want to be the, uh, the boss of some big multi-billion dollar company, and they just live and invest every ounce of their energy in the pursuit of that. But we're speaking about a position that exceeds all others, being with Christ. And if you're saved, you need to consider who you are and what you have because of Christ. Who you are. You're a child of God. What you have. You have everything that Christ has because you are a joint heir with Christ. Think about the difference. Without Christ, with Christ. Without Christ, we were lost. With Christ, we're saved. Without Christ, we were dead, spiritually dead, but with Christ, we have life. Without Christ, we were guilty. With Christ, we are forgiven. Without Christ, we are sinners. With Christ, we are saints. Without Christ, we are without God. But with Christ, we are the sons of God. Without Christ, we're going to hell. With Christ, we're going to heaven. So this phrase, with Christ, is describing our position. You are a somebody because of who Jesus is. It's not because of what you've done. It's all because of who Jesus is. You are a child of the King. And that little two-word phrase describes your position. If you walked in here today thinking, well, I'm just a nobody in this world. I'm not important. Well, no, but Christ has made you important in the sense that he has accepted you into the family. Amen? But it not only describes our position, it also declares our purpose. Because the change in our position changes our purpose. We see that in Romans chapter 6. We'll be having a baptismal service here in a little while. And this is in reference to the ordinance of baptism he's speaking about. And he says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that is put to death with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Our purpose has changed. Verse 18 of that chapter says, Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. 
If you're a child of God, understand that you have a new purpose. Whatever, you, whatever it was that you were living for before you trusted Christ, that's all out the window because it's not now all about Him. Your purpose has changed. Your values have changed. Before we're saved, everything revolves around us. It's all about self. But after, after we receive Christ, Christ is all. It's all about Jesus, as the little chorus says. It changes our purpose. It changes our values. It changes our ambitions in life. Because this new position now causes us to think about the great importance of spiritual things and all of this other stuff in the world begins to shrink into insignificance now because our purpose now has to do with things that are spiritual and things that are eternal. Notice that's what he tells us here in verse 1 and verse 2. Seek those things which are above. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. That's, that's what our life ought to be about. We have new ambitions now. This is the desire of our heart, seeking things above. It's not about what we have or what we do while we're here because it's all about the treasures that are laid up in heaven as a result of doing the will of God here on earth. God created all of creation and man all for one singular purpose, and that was to glorify Him. And if we fail here, we fail everywhere. If we fail at this, we fail altogether. It doesn't make any difference how many sermons I preach. It doesn't make any difference how many miles I traveled. It doesn't make any difference what influence I might have in the world or whatever else I might do. If I don't do it for the right reason, you see, God is judging our motives as well as our mannerisms. It's not just what we do, it's why we do it. And we do it for the glory of God. That becomes our new ambition because now our purpose is different because now our position is different. But it doesn't end there. There's something else about this union that we have of being with Christ. And that is, it speaks about our partnership. It defines our partnership. Now, when I think about that word, and I've thought about it a lot before I even decided to preach this message, but when I think about the word partnership, the first thought that comes to my mind is the exalted position of Christ who is described as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it just seems strange to speak about him in terms as being our partner. I mean, that's what you call your friend down here in Texas, hey, partner, you know, and we can use that in a worldly sense. But I'm talking about a partnership with Christ, and yet that is exactly how our union with Him is pictured in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, For we are laborers together. And then he adds, with God. We are laborers together with God. I can still remember the first time I heard a sermon on that verse. 
I'd read through it many times, but I just I just started pastoring my first church. I, I attended a, a, a preacher's fellowship meeting, and the preacher was a preacher that was from out of town that day, a preacher that was well-known among all Baptists especially, and he was preaching that day, and he got up and he preached a message on this very thing. We are laborers together with God. That message came at a time in my life that I desperately needed it. I, I, I mean, when you're, when you're young and inexperienced and you're now pastoring your very first church and doing a lousy job of it, making one mistake after another, exhausting yourself and, and stretching your family to the limit and you wonder how in the world can I possibly do all of this and boy, it hit home to me that day, and I've listened. I've never forgotten that, and I've lived every day since leaning upon this fact that we are laborers together, but it is with God. There's never been a day when I didn't need the truth of that verse, and you need it also. Not only are we laborers together for God, that's wonderful, when we think about this church, we're labors together for God, but it goes beyond that. We're labors together with God. And I say that because it's true. It was this partnership, if you please, the partnership that made the apostles successful. In Mark chapter 16 and verse number 20, it says, And they, that is the apostles, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. You see, their success did not depend upon their wonderful personality. It did not depend upon their speaking ability. It depended upon the Lord working with them, enabling them to do what He had called them to do. And after giving the disciples the instructions, you'll remember just before he ascends back into heaven and he calls them together and he gives us the great commission and he concludes that with these words of inspiration and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You see, that promise covers us also. We are labors together with God and His help is essential because regardless of how hard we try to do the work of God, we will fail without Him. Jesus said in John 15, 5, without me ye can do nothing. So without the Lord, we have only self and only others to depend upon and that's never enough. We need God's help and with Christ, we have God's help. Philippians 2, 13 says... For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I love that verse. It is God which worketh. Just stop and think. Our God is not taking a nap on the throne. He's not lost touch with what's going on in the world. God is at work every second of every day throughout the centuries. God which worketh, he's working, but notice he worketh in you. He's at work in every child of God. Well, what is he doing? He's at work in you. Notice he says both to will, that is the desire, 
and to do His good pleasure. And as I've said so many times as a young Christian, and especially as a young preacher, I lived my life in the light of Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And, and I depend on that every moment of, of every hour of every single day. And it's true of all of us. If you're a child of God, you can do anything the will of God demands because of the fact that Christ was with you. And he promised he would never leave you, never forsake you. It defines our partnership, Christ with us. And those times that you're struggling in life and it seems you're facing a challenge that is just far greater than anything you're able to bear, anything you're able to do, just remember Christ is with you. He's with you. But then there's another thing that this speaks of, and that's the fact that it depreciates our problems. Now, I wish I could stand here this morning and say, you know, if you get saved and if you start serving God, all of your problems will just disappear. I wish I could say that, but it would be a lie. Neither salvation nor service to God exempts us from problems because, as you know, some of the best people have the worst problems. And the truth is, that serving God can actually create problems that we've never had before. That was true of the apostles. It was true of the early church, by the way. It's been true of Christians throughout all of the centuries. There were problems and difficulties that they could have escaped had they been unfaithful to God, but that would have created a bigger problem. So when you set out to serve God, please understand, there are going to be problems in your life. However, we can't escape them, but because of being with Christ, we can endure them. We have this blessed assurance of help in time of trouble. I love the fact that Paul is not just speaking by divine inspiration, but Paul is speaking out of the depths of his own experiences. When he wrote to Timothy in the second letter in chapter number four, as he's closing out the letter, and he tells us of the difficulties that he had faced. And remember, he's writing this from prison, and he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. And then he goes on and speaks of difficulties. But listen to this, verse 16, that my first answer, no man stood with me. Isn't that sad? Here's this lonely preacher in, in, in prison in, in another country and writing to this church and he says, There's, no one stood with me. But all men forsook me. I pray God that it might not be laid to their charge. What a spiritual giant he was. They, they forsook me, but I, I'm praying God doesn't hold that against them. We get so perturbed and so bent out of shape and so bitter toward people sometimes because they did us wrong in some way. I wish we had the spirit of Paul. I wish we had the spirit of Christ whenever he said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. No man stood with me, but verse 17, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. 
I think of that old song. I think Ernest Tubb even sang it, Stand By Me. I, I, I just the, the words to that song are so amazing. If you've never heard it, I, you young people, I'm sure you haven't, but you ought, to, you ought to get a copy of it and just read the words. That the storms of life are raging. Stand by me. And he always does, just like he promised. All men forsook me, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and noticed and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known that all of the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto the heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Wow. What a testimony. That's why I say that when we think about being with Christ, it depreciates our problems because now we look at our problems in a different way. And instead of complaining about our problems and giving up in despair, we have a spirit, an attitude of hope now because we know by virtue of being in fellowship with Christ, we know that He will help us in a time of need. And if He doesn't help us in the way that we desire, He'll use the trouble we're going through for some good in life. Wow. Now I can look at all of my difficulties in a different way. I'll never forget being in Lubbock, Texas, and we'd uh, sitting, sitting at the supper table in Brother Bynum's home there, and his wife was dying, and, uh, and she knew it and he knew it. We were sitting there that day, and uh, I got to speaking about Second Corinthians chapter number 4 and went on and on about the purpose that God has I preached a message a few years ago here called Training for Reigning. We're in training. God's people are. We don't waste our sorrows when we accept them with a sweet attitude and we understand that it's not about now, it's about later. It's not about you, it's about God. And God's going to take all of these so-called bad things that happen to us and He's going to use our experiences in some way that in that day, finally at long last, remember he said, we shall rule and reign with him. And then all of these experiences, the things we're going through now, will come into play and will contribute to the ministry that we'll have then. You're not going to just sit around twiddling your thumbs for all of eternity. You're not going to sit down on the river of life and put your fishing line out in the water and, uh, in eternity. We're going to be busy serving him day and night and we'll never get tired. And, and, and what we are privileged to do then and there will be based in part on what we've gone through here. And now we have a different perspective on all of our problems. We have perfect peace because we know that God in Christ is with us. He is in control and that He cares. Robert Louis Stevenson Many years ago, told the story of a ship that was caught out uh, in a storm at sea. And everybody was scared to death. All of the passengers were huddled below, and they were 
fearful and the waves were dashing over the vessel. And finally, one of the men, against orders, by the way, he decided, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sneak up to the deck and I'm going to go see what's going on with the pilot. And so he crept up there and he, he crawled into where the pilot was and he caught sight of the pilot and he's standing there at the wheel without flinching a bit. And the pilot happened to catch him out of the corner of his eye. He saw him, and when he did, he just gave the man a reassuring smile, like, it's it's all right, I've got this. And then he went down below and spoke to the people and comforted them by saying, I've seen the face of the pilot, and he smiled all is well, all is well. And I want you to know today, folks, that I, on the authority of God's Word, I'm telling you, all is well. Regardless of what happens in your life, regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of what difficulty, with Christ, it's all okay. It's all right. You say, what if I die? To die is gain. To die is gain. The best is yet to come. As you face these scary storms in life, I want to assure you, that my Savior is the master of the sea. Your heart might ache, your knees might shake, your lips might quiver, but know this, Christ is at the controls and He'll never leave the helm. Amen? He's there and you're with Him. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future and it's my dear Savior. When this old world all around us seems to be coming apart at the seams, don't be afraid. I've read the last chapter of the book, and we win. We win. Because when we who are with Jesus and we have been looking unto Jesus, someday we will literally be with him, as he talks about in verse number 4, and we'll be with him and we'll see him as he is. In fact, The Bible even says, and we'll be like him in that day. That brings us down to one final question, and that's this. Are you better off with or without Jesus? Oh, that ought to be easy to answer. And yet the chances are there are some folks here today that are without him. It might be that you've never heard the gospel. Nobody's ever told you how God loved you so much that he sent his own dear son. God himself took the form of a man and condescended down from glory, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and allowed himself to be nailed to the cruel cross to pay your sin debt all because he loved you. And he's willing to save you. And by that, I mean he's willing not only to deliver you from your sins, but he's willing to forgive you of every sin you've ever committed, receive you into his family, and accept you into his heaven. And all of that can happen by simple childlike faith, just by believing, just accepting that by faith. And you can become a child of God this morning. And I'll tell you, and I speak on behalf of every member of this church, we are begging you to do that. Please, please, don't let this opportunity slip away. You'll never find a better time than right now to become a Christian. And it can happen by you simply trusting Christ. Are you better off with Him or are you better off without Him? It's one or the other. There's no in-between.
you are either with him or without him. And if you are here today and with him, please, please remember what we've talked about and go away from here with a different perspective on your problems. It's okay. It's okay. Sitting in my office, Brother Jeff Maxey's dad, Brother Dennis, one of the best friends I ever had, and sitting in my office happened to be the day he gave me the doctor's diagnosis that that he had cancer, he was dying, and and he sat there and with a big old smile on his face, and he said, I know, he said that God's in control, and he, he said this, he said, God's going to do whatever he wants to do. And then the smile got even bigger, and he said, and it's okay. It's okay. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future, and it's in good hands. Let's stand. Father, I pray that you'll burn these truths into our heart. And Lord, there's so many times whenever we're well acquainted with the facts, we could quote the verses. We know exactly what they say. And yet all of a sudden when we're going through some storm in our life, some difficulty and we feel overwhelmed and, and all of a sudden our mind goes blank. And I pray during those moments whenever we seem to be so helpless, so hopeless, may your Holy Spirit remind us of these glorious truths and may we know every moment of every day that Christ is with us and that makes all the difference in the world. I pray especially you'll save that lost person, whether it's a man, a woman, or some boy or girl here today that's not saved. Would you save them here this morning? May they trust you today in Jesus' name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing, would you come?